the war created debt. The war created poverty. The war created the fragility of the system. And it, it had a profound, profound impact on people. And right now, we're back there. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Christian, welcome to the show. Hello, John Philip. How are you? Uh, very good, very good. Uh, regular to our uh, podcast in French or in English, uh, Christian, always a pleasure to have you on board. Christian Great. is actually uh, a real estate, uh, real estate broker um, uh, for uh, uh, PMML, the, uh, the largest agency and uh, in Quebec regarding either the selling of property, refinancing property. So, Christian, welcome aboard once again. Terry, you're back. I am. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> I, I just like to make a point before we start. I'm, I'm not a real estate broker, but a, a commercial mortgage broker. My apologies, Christian. My apologies. That's my bad. No, That's my bad. no problem, yeah, yeah, John yeah. Philip. You know yeah. what, uh, uh, John Philip, I call you like that because you, you have such a good name. If I had your name, I'd open a bank and I'd call it the John Phillips Investment Banking, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. You can call me JP. JP, it's easier. I've, I've JP, already all, all the different uh, phrasing for John Philip. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a tough, a, tough, a tough first name in English. So... Uh, I just, uh, Terry, I just uh, presented uh, Christian, actually wrongly, it's it's my bad, I actually know very, Christian very well, we work on a few deals uh, together, I actually is refinancing uh, one of my property uh, right now, so Christian, my apologies. No and uh, Terry, uh, you're up, if uh, you want to yeah. start with a question, uh, sure. all yours. So maybe uh, just to, to, if we go like into the backstory a little bit uh, of the conversation we had when we were off air. So if we just uh, talk a little bit about who you are and where you came by your knowledge, uh, Christian, I think you mentioned that you've been a commercial mortgage broker for um, about six years. Yes, I've been uh, in the uh, mortgage uh, business for um, the last six years. Um, the reality is a little more because I started off as a, a residential mortgage broker when I was a financial planner, uh, which I've been for about uh, 19 years. And after that, I went into uh, uh, selling and operating like high-end condos. And after that, uh, six years in this business, I started off with a, a certain firm, which is a great, great, great school. And uh, now I'm with uh, PMML, which is uh, like a leader in this uh, definite industry. Yep. 
Yeah, how many, uh, I think how many uh, properties under contract? Two, 230 for sale. And I think how many refinance? I don't know. I don't know that number, but I guess it's a lot. I think right now, uh, Marie-Ange, uh, operating manager, was saying that we have over 420 uh, financing right now, just just ourselves. So it's incredible. Yeah. Big wow. business, nice business. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Christian, since we're waiting and uh, Terish is going to be back in two minutes, I'll go ahead with my uh, personal questions. Okay. Uh, I know that CMHC has been uh has changed a bit the rules uh regarding the takeouts from the refinancing uh, i think the news was in may or june can't recall exactly which yeah. one was it and uh, what's going on with that uh on your side actually um it's true that the the cmhc like kind of installed new changes in the spring that was on May 28th uh, regarding the equity takeout and it affected hardly, like um, like very hardly, a lot of borrowers because they relied on this money uh, to uh, to take out for different objectives. And they also, some of them had, had real strategies in place, you know, so what, what happened is, and, and everybody's gonna remember, like all investors are gonna remember that, date because it, it's it's a strong uh, it's a strong change the new guidelines actually uh it was for the takeout of equity and, and uh, the major goal was to stop the outflow of money and to control the massive refinancing that's happening in the market i mean the pandemia uh first of all we were we were already in a very low interest rate uh, market and it's been a long while i mean it's been years you know uh, that we have uh, rates which are in the three percent and uh, and uh, now it it went down to in the 2.5s and then under two and it's incredible now the pandemia uh changed the, the the whole picture and there was so much refinancing that they had to control uh part of all this and the takeout, as you started to say, had to fall, has to fall now in precise categories, uh, basically like new acquisitions, uh, renovations and construction uh, of at least uh, two doors and more. So duplexes and up. So you can't take out the money and uh, refurbish uh, your uh, chalet or your house. It has to be in, in the park also. Uh, the problem when they brought this out at the first is that they were very, very severe, very strict. And this is what hurt a lot because you couldn't pay back uh, private lenders. Uh, they wouldn't allow us to pay back, well, not us, but the clients to pay the balances of sale, uh, love money. You know, there's so many people that went in the business and they borrowed money from their parents, uh, uh, which took money out of their retirement funds, you know, and now they have to stay in in the, the the process of the real estate investment for much longer so it did change a lot of strategies so your question was how is it now uh well i could tell you one thing that the cmhc has eased up a lot uh they're not changing the the, the guideline uh it's just that they're easing because i think they had to come out strong they had to send out a clear message and for the first two months 
it was a hassle even for us you know a pmml we have a lot of brokers and like we we, we were uh, uh crying blood you know because we, we had a hard time refinancing and we had all this money that was being held there and we couldn't justify it uh, but now they eased up and right now what i find is that they kind of go case by case and if the case makes sense and it's intelligent they're going to accept that we reimburse private lenders uh now i don't want you to stay in this in this show and say oh chris said they they always uh reimburse private lenders that's not what i'm saying it's just that they're going case by case if the case makes sense it's built up very well it has to be well presented uh well justified then we will be able to uh pay back either the vendor that was the lender or private lenders some balances of sale some love money sometimes that's that's the toughest part uh, it's very difficult but yeah so it's a good it's good news to a certain extent but i think the future is also going to help us understand more and more where they're going with all this and is the uh is the lenders different regarding this criteria do we see a difference in the the the, the financial or virtual uh, lenders and and, and the, the six big banks is there a difference? yeah we do we do yeah definitely because i mean even though it's a CMHC uh, guideline, um, banks, even in the conventional side, have strictened in their, their way of, of allowing takeouts. Uh, they verify them uh, much more. They ask for more justification. Uh, but there's still banks out there which are like kind of, they're, they're blind to, the, to all this. They don't care that much. And it depends also, like if the client is already a client of the, that certain bank, maybe there'll be more permissive. Um, so there's, um, but it did affect, it did affect the conventional also, and definitely the, uh, and you talked about uh, virtual banks, uh, virtual banks or the specialized banks, which uh, have a lot of securitization of their loans. Uh, that was another issue. I mean, I'm a bit curious about what's behind the decision-making in some of the changes that have happened in the mortgage insurance industry. What is the government thinking and why are those decisions being made? Uh, you mean at the uh, CMHC uh, level? Yeah, correct. Okay. Actually, the, the main goal, the main goal uh, for from the CMHC is, is really always the same it's giving affordable access to homes you know for most canadians and they want to make sure that the quality of the real estate park still stays healthy and uh, and also one of the main things is controlling household debt uh because this is uh mainly a big 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 uh vulner vulnerability uh problem uh, in in canada and in quebec definitely and also they want to keep the money in the real estate sector. So we, we talked about the guideline uh, that they put in place. This is one, is one of the main things. It's one of the first steps that they brought in is the May 2020 guideline. Uh, and it served that purpose. You know, it had to calm down the major refinancing that's happening right now, uh, avoiding the money flow out and making sure that the attribution of equity is within uh, something that makes sense to the long-term goal that the CMHC has to to increase, like I was talking about, the, the power of the of the park, and 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 not flowing out into retirement funds of the people and non-real estate assets, you know, and 
you know, CMHC also has a, a very big uh, national like 10 year housing strategy uh, where they're injecting a lot of, a lot of money, uh, like I think over 55, 60 billion dollars. And that's going to be put into research, uh, into support, into uh, uh, borrowing management. And again, the goal is the same. It's to give access to most or all Canadians to a good, affordable um, a place, you know. So they have to strengthen the middle class offer. And that's actually here. That's something that was hit a lot. You know, the, I don't know how we would call in English, les optimizateurs, optimizers? Optimizers, yeah, optimizers. Okay, there's a lot of investors out there and they're very brilliant. You know, they, they buy uh, uh, buildings which need a lot of love uh, and they're bought at a very low price and they're gonna inject a lot of money and turn around and then sometimes they're gonna take, I have clients in my asset base which takes rents of 450 480 dollars and they bring them up to 900 950 you know in in montreal and this is incredible because yes it's a big 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 optimization a lot of money to be done in the future with all this and big refinances but you know the doesn't see it in the same eye because this is uh now this is a word i have no idea how to say in english but in french we say gentrification it's gentrification Oh, yeah? yeah. Gee, my, my life could be so easy just saying it the same way. <laughs> uh, so gentrification of the park is not necessarily necessarily what they like because uh, basically you're taking uh, affordable uh, um, units and making them much unaffordable for the middle class, which the the aim of the CMHC is trying to to get. And this is why uh they don't allow all this refinancing so that they could redo it again and that's one of the sectors they were kind of attacking and they were hit very hard these people because they really have to think and be much much more creative but there's a limit to being creative you know so that's that's uh what they're doing and they're they're going to invest a lot you know, cmhc you know like over 300 uh thousand homes uh, that they want to renovate and modernize and, and build about 125,000 new homes in the next uh, 10 years. That's their 2030 plan, you know. So there's good thinking behind, but, you know, uh, nowadays it's it's harder because we have to live with, with their changes. And they're going to become more and more strict. That's for sure, you know. Well, let me, so let me ask you this question about the CMHC. So I did an, an interview with Hilliard Macbeth, uh, maybe a few months ago, and you know he's very pessimistic about the outlook of, of the yeah. real estate industry. And he compares the CMHC's mortgage insurance a little bit to the American subprimes. And he references the household debt figures of Canadians. Quebec is a little bit of an outlier, but if you look at some, especially like uh, Toronto and Vancouver, Absolutely. which has about 40% of Canada's equity in the tied up in those two markets. And if you look at the household debt, and you look at that, that, that household debt is actually financed in a certain sense by the CMHC. Is this something that we need to be concerned about? And would you read it a little bit like a kind of a subprime lending organism? Or why should why should we or should we not interpret it that way? Okay, well, now it's going to be like really from the bottom of my heart and my brain. <laughs> okay, there's not everything is not necessarily perfect and sound, but uh, look, I would uh, say that there may be a bubble. I would, uh, I think that, I mean, 
every international fund out there looks at all the markets around the world and almost all of them says, say that the Canadian market is very high, overheating, and like you said, Vancouver and Toronto are really the drivers of all this. So yes, there is a, I don't know how we could describe it really a bubble or not, but even the, the, the I think the BIS said that they really have to check, you know, I think we're part of the 10 countries where there, these two cities have to be checked, you know? So yes, there's something out there. Do we have to point CMHC? Honestly, uh, uh, I don't think it's that easy to assess uh, because, first of all, not many countries have insurers like we do, which kind of are linked with the government and, you know, check over all this. So I think it's also a good thing. CMHC makes a lot of sense. They did good decisions in the past, which which kept our system pretty stable, you know, and uh, and many big decisions, you know, where they, they cut the amortization uh, lens in the, in the past, they put stress tests, they put a lot of things. So, so I think they're there for a good reason and they're doing a pretty good job. They do, I, I agree that they do allow highly leveraged borrowing, uh, but it's still in the limits of the feasibility. And I think that the, the May 28 new guideline was really like a first major uh, tentative to to create a big break like a, a, a break a slowdown you know but the bubble i think i would suspect it comes from much higher like that the whole big uh, elephant uh, system of that is encouraged with the debt you know um and something we have to know because he compares uh mr Macbeth compares with the uh, subprime in the in the states but i i wouldn't go there because and this is me now, this is really personal. I wouldn't go there because first of all, I think the US banking system is so different than our structured banking in Canada with the chartered banks and, and they have like so much uh, uh, characteristics to fall into. Whereas the privately owned banks in the States, it's all a private system uh, held on by the uh, Reserve Federale, the Federal Reserve. Um, they took, in the States, they took much higher risks, you know, and our system is is uh, by far more uh, uh, stronger and more sound. However, there are humongous amounts of money that's injected in the system. Um, the large companies, you know, they emit bonds right now uh, that are, are bought by back by the, the Bank of Canada, and this gets the debt out of the balance sheet of, of the big companies and transferred to the government. So where is the bubble? You know, the, the bubble is, I think it's much bigger than when, than when we talk about just a real estate bubble. And just to close it off, the International uh, uh, Money Fund uh, is talking right now uh, about doing a big, big reset. Now they don't know and no one knows how, how, no one knows how to do it without uh, falling into uh, socialism or communism, you know, but we have to do a big reset of this encouraged indebtment. And I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the, the Bretton Woods, but they're saying that they're, they, we should have a new Bretton Woods right now. And the Bretton Woods in two seconds is in after the war in 1944 in, in New Hampshire, um, there's 44 men and I don't know if there was women in there, but they signed the article of agreement 
that had two main objectives. And the first one was to rebuild from the devastation of World War II and also to lay, lay new foundations for uh, a peaceful and more prosperous uh, afterward life. You know? And the war created debt. The war created poverty. The war created the fragility of the system. And it, it had a profound, profound impact on people. And right now, we're back there. We are back there where all this thing, like, like it's not a war, but we're talking about uh, indebtment. Uh, we're talking about like high indebtment. We're talking about the pandemia, which is even uh, creating more poverty and has a big impact on people. And right now, all governments are printing and printing money like before, like the rich countries could, could do it and the poor countries cannot, and, and they're, they're suffering. And, and what they're saying is that we must avoid the race, the bottom, that, but that's almost the only place we could go. It's a little pessimistic, but uh, I think there has to be a form of reset. Um, so yes, the bubble, <laughs> You're talking, if we come back to Hilliard Macbeth, we do have a, a form of a bubble. It's not just in real estate. I think it's much bigger than that. And I, would, I wouldn't point uh, CMHE as being the sole uh, uh, problem, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, well, it's, I think it's a very interesting and a very telling answer. Um, and I think Hilliard's comments were pre-pandemic. So I think he was looking yeah. at really a snapshot of the Canadian market as it was before things, whatever's going on now started happening. And I think yeah. these high debts, like countries getting into a lot of debt, households getting into a lot of debt. I mean, definitely in North America, that's not very new, but I think when you allow a problem like that to accumulate, and then all of a sudden you put an additional stressor on top of it, then you end up, like you say, in a, a situation where do we need to reevaluate the way the financial system works you know, in a bigger way. And I think you're absolutely right when you say that, like, we can, you know, talk about our industry, which is a small piece of that. And obviously, there's going to be effects on liquidities that are available to underwrite mortgages and different things like that. But like, if yeah. the problem is much bigger, this is not just about the CMHC. And it's not just about the Bank of Canada, which is a flea on the dog. It's not even the tail wagging the dog, like we're a flea on the yeah. dog. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if we narrow it down a little bit and, and bring ourselves back to maybe the local market. So we have these decisions that are being made for maybe Vancouver and Toronto, which suffer from specific kind of issues, which is that their properties are, their values are very high. The relationship to incomes is also out of whack, maybe. And then we look at the decisions that are made for those markets and the equity that is there and we compare it in Quebec and that the decisions that are being made in Ottawa maybe are not accounting specifically for what's going on locally. How do you see those two things fitting together as an investor in the Quebec market? How do you put together what's going on in Canadian policy with respect to the rest of the country and what's going on with us? Wow. I, I think, I think that all the markets right now are kind of overheating a bit. Um, and uh, it's it's incredible because we were talking about just uh, Montreal uh, because this is very local for us, and we talk about Montreal and and how how the prices are still high and um, and why the the market is like that and, and overheating and um, it's even in the suburbs now that that the prices uh, stay high, you know. So 
I think that those big markets like uh, Vancouver and and uh, Toronto will probably uh, be shaken a bit. I believe that ours will be less uh, because we never hit as high as that, but we definitely will be affected. And um, actually, you know, uh, if we look at the real estate market, the prices are high, you know, anyways, right now. And what we should expect in the future is, is that, first of all, how it's fueled is that the system right now has a very, very high level of refinancing demands. And there's two uh, main drivers of this. And, and the first one we all know is the very, very ridiculously low rates, you know. Um, one of my colleagues, uh, I think about three weeks ago, he um, uh, signed like, I think I think it was 20 million. It's a big loan, but it was 0.76%. Like this is like, we're talking very ridiculously low rates. And that's the grand mo motivator of all this refinancing. And there's a second thing also is I think there's this sentiment that the market will soon reveal mega deals because of, of uh, a pandemia or because of this, the, the prices are too high and people are gonna turn over at one point. But still now, there's, there's still more demand than supply. And for a little while too, you know, and, and added to the super low rates, which increases the value, that's why the, the market is so high. However, if COVID lasts too long, uh, buyer will slowly disappear because of the job losses, uh, there won't be any foreign uh, buyers anymore, or, or, you know, we have a hard time connecting the foreign buyers now, and they're gonna have, we're gonna have challenges even with the renters. Uh, mm -hmm. Right now, a lot of people have bu buildings and we ask them, you know, CMH, she always asks us, the first thing is, uh, do you, do, does your client defer, have they deferred their mortgage payment? And also, uh, is the, the renters, the ones, the tenants, do they defer their payments or ask for, uh, uh, for delay, delays, you know? And uh, a lot say, no, my tenants are very good and all this. But how long will tenants be able to sustain regular payments if, if this thing lasts so long or too long or we get too impressive waves, you know? And, and we know that unemployment has increased i mean that's that's not a secret it, it decreased lately but it's still pretty high and if it kind of stabilizes like this then then yes the prices might go down you know they say that normally we should we could lose about uh four percent uh decrease in prices every time unemployment increases by about one percent and is sustained you know but right now we're not there yet i think there's still some i don't know the investors are still positive out there and vendor, vendors are still very aggressive. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're right. And I think, uh, you know, what I witness is definitely like I, I do a fair amount of property management and I certainly see that the rental units locally, their stuff is sitting on the market. I mean, it is November, so it's not a great time to have vacant units. But if I look at the pressure that there was on the rental market, even six months ago, it's not the same ecosystem. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, you know, once we get a vaccine and the foreign students start coming and the borders open again, is this pent up demand going to take care of itself? Or are we actually witnessing a slowdown in the rental market, which will then have a kind of an impact on the prices of 
bigger residential units because once you start having higher vacancies, like you obviously have to price that into whatever calculations you're making. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and also the rental market right now, it's funny because, you know, I lived it myself. Uh Last last year or a year and a half ago, I sold my very nice house in Rosemar, and um, and I decided to go rent for a little while before replacing myself. and And that was in September 2019. And I looked with my son, and we visited about ten um, apartments, and they seemed very fine. And uh, but the prices were were very high, very high. You know, I, I was surprised myself. And then I, I decided for two days, only two days, I said, maybe maybe instead of renting, I'm going to buy a condo. So I started looking in the condo market and uh, for 48 hours. And then I said, oh, no, I'll rent. And I came back to my list and that was it. Everything was rented. And that's a year and something ago. It, 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 it was fast. It was high. I was like out of the wax. I couldn't believe it. And then I started looking again and things went so, so, so fast. But now it changed. It changed and the supply is changing. Uh, we're getting much more long-term rentals back in the market. And you said it yourself, the reason uh, basically there's two things is, is especially the areas where there was a big concentration of students and a lot of short-term uh, rentals uh, or a Airbnbs, they're being hit because there's no movement internationally. There's no more tourism. There's no more... Uh, uh, you know, companies are are downsizing, are 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 watching their expenses and all this, so they're not uh, renting the 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 short term anymore. So every area that has uh, high concentrations of the short term and the student housing are seeing like a big turnover into long term rentals. So, but you don't see that, for example, in Laval, or uh, you uh, you know, there's not going to be a sharp increase like that. So rental is changing, and uh, and there's a lot of supply out there right now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true. So if we zoom out a little bit again, uh, more to like a macro level, one yeah. of the questions that I had as we were going through this observing what the government is doing with injecting liquidities and buying bonds to get the debt off the off the balance sheet how is this not creating massive inflation because it seems to me that when you have an increase in the money supply or like a you know a debt that's ballooning how does that not turn into double digit inflation oh you're totally right actually um you know the the cpi uh, is the uh, consumer price index is very low right now, and and that means inflation is low. It's like the measure uh, measuring tool for inflation. Uh, we are also in a form of a kind of a slow depression right now, um, and and that inflation is at 0 0.5 as of now. And the target we could talk about the Bank of Canada if you want later. And the the, the target is two percent. We're at 0 0.5. Uh, we're shorting and. Like you said, there's huge, huge liquidity pumping in the system. But the thing is that people are not spending much yet. Uh, and um, the credit card debt even has been lowered. That's funny because overall debt stayed almost the same because mortgage debt uh, went up. We've been talking about this all, uh, for the whole show, you know, how much free financing there is. So mortgage de debt is very high. But... Uh, conversely, the credit card debt has been lowered, which which is good to a certain extent, but it doesn't make uh, the economy roll that much. So 
I think you may be right. We might be living uh, the peace period right now, just before the possible uh, hitting storm. I mean, it. These are these are conditions that could lead definitely to hyperinflation, and and it could get out of control because there's so much money in the system. Um, so this this is yeah. I think I think you're right. And and the real estate markets also is is someone somewhat overheating anyways uh, about everywhere like we said earlier so there's the system i don't know if the system is going to crack but something will definitely happen you know mm -hmm. you know the u.s right now oh sorry go no go ahead oh, i was just going to say the u.s right now just the, the debt that the u.s put in the books in the last three months is 3.3 trillion dollars they're now up to over 27 trillion. And this is ridiculous because their payment on the debt is, is now like equivalent or higher to their GDP. And, and this definitely uh, kind of puts um, the US dollar uh, at risk to losing their, them being the benchmark in the world, you know, especially now that the Chinese have this new kind of system that they're putting and testing in place, which is relied also with crypto uh, um, currencies. It's incredible. And in Canada, it's the same thing. We have a very high debt. We're not in the trillions, but very soon we're at 926 billion. Um, so so we do have to watch out. Those uh, the, the hyperinflation is something that we have to look out for. But Bank of Canada seems to be optimistic with that, with their plan. So uh yeah. yeah well that's i mean i find that really fascinating because i think what you're saying is just confirming something that we all know anecdotally because i think our listeners will confirm this i can't believe personally when i look at my credit card statements these days how little money i'm spending first of all yeah. but then on the other hand i'm running to refinance the properties that i own because the interest rate is so cheap so I think right. from an anecdotal perspective, we see precisely that, that it's as if we're sort of shifting, like there's a shift maybe away from just straight up consumer debt as people are like, you know, I, I also know somebody who works in used cars and like there's a, just a crazy boom for used cars. And I wonder if you were looking at people, how many people are buying new cars right now, how many people are making big purchasing decisions. I think people are probably being fairly conservative on that point of view, but yet at the same time, there's a lot of debt that's going into, into refinancing. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and one thing also you, you pointed out one thing is yes, it's going into uh, the um, uh, refinancing of homes and all this and credit card debt is also going down. People are not spending, they're paying more on their credit cards, which makes so much sense and it's intelligent, but uh, uh, in a macroeconomic level, you have to understand that this could become very fragile fragile on the system because as soon as people uh, gain confidence and that uncertainty clears away, uh, then what happens is that people start spending and they could spend more because now their credit cards are so free. So now houses are jacked up and they have so much free, uh, uh, free uh, uh, money. Uh, and uh, and they're going to realize very soon that it's not free at all. You know, yeah. <laughs> it hits pretty hard, pretty hard. You know. Well, there's a lot of talk about pent up demand as well, and I think again, if we think anecdotally, uh, I know I love to travel, and like the first thing I'm going to do when the measures are are <laughs> lifted is I'm going to go on a two month travel bender. You know, but oh, I think yeah. that there's a lot of people who 
in the sense of there being pent up demand, like a lot of people are putting off spending. And as you say, people maybe go refinance, they get access to some capital. And that then once the consumer spending spigots are open, it is possible that that will just increase household debt that much more because we've already just tapped into whatever equity we had. So I think that's very interesting. If we maybe shift now and look at the policies of the Bank of Canada, I mean, we touched on it a little bit talking about inflation, but I don't know if you could give us maybe your digest of what is going on with the Bank of Canada now and maybe what's been going on in the past few months with how they're trying to manage the financial ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. So um, we have what till two or three o'clock? <laughs> we have 10 more minutes. So okay. <laughs> this is going to be my last big question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, I'm, I'm going to start, you know, the, the Bank of Canada monitors hundreds, if not thousands of different indexes and different uh, characteristics of the market. They're always on the lookout completely. And right now, before I start with the Bank of Canada monetary policy, I just want to lay out some facts that we kind of know, but all this makes up the big picture. When we look at un unemployment, uh, it's been a, a long while that we have lived through what we're going down uh, out now. And even after 2008, that kind of great we had, uh, we lost like 425,000 jobs. And now in a matter of a, of a couple of months, uh, we're down 700,000 jobs. Uh, and many in the service sector, the low wage sectors, you know, where where social distanciation is non-functional. So unemployment is a major, major thing that, that the bank and the government has to control and has to uh, monitor. And then we talk about household debt, how much, how high it is, you know, the debt to income ratio surpass, surpasses 170%. It's like never seen. 20 years ago, we were talking about about 90%. You know, when I was a financial plan planner, we were looking at that type of number. So that also is something, it's one of the most vulnerable pieces of our financial system. Because if the pandemia or any other crap like this continues, it's going to be a big, big problem because more than 45% of Canadians are at risk uh, financially uh, if there's no more support. And uh, personal investments are very low. Business investments are weak. So all this has to be taken into account. Exports are slow. Immigration is stalled. So when you Canadian household debt, like I said, is a major concern. And the programs that they put in place, the Bank of Canada, like uh, I think it's called CERB in English, uh, and the mortgage deferral programs, they saved butts in the last uh, in the last months, but they have now changed and transferred to the uh, employment insurance. Uh, but those support programs are so important for the vulnerable class because it allows them uh, increased household spending and, and sustaining the economy, which is not rolling uh, very deeply right now. Um, so if the housing market collapses, our, our banks will probably uh, be very hardly hit, but they will stand. Whereas I, I think that personally people are, are many are going to fall totally short because there's too many too many mortgages were taken at the limit of their personal uh, debt ratios. So 
Um, you know, even in Canada, in Quebec, you know, we used a lot of the deferred payments uh, on the housing. About 70% of borrowers uh, that ask this deferred payment, they have less than 10% equity in their homes. So see how fragile this could be? So right now, the Bank of Canada, they have to look at all this and they manage uh, with their monetary policy. And, and I don't know if you want me to go in a, a bit of the what they look at and why they what they monitor or well maybe i mean i guess and then then we're gonna have to start start wrapping up so let me just ask yeah. that one last question so i'm kind of more interested in like the levers that the bank of canada has because like you said you mentioned there are you know these various programs that are put out like the serve and these different things i'm not sure if that's bank of canada or if that's tr like trudeau you know i i this is my own ignorance um and then i wonder like besides setting the and yeah. what exactly what levers does the Bank of Canada have to influence the economy? Yeah, well, actually, both both levels of government work together because they're 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 kind of uh, uh, they're different entities. But I mean, the Bank of Canada is part of the uh, government, and in the monetary policy, they they have a main objective is to uh, preserve the value of money and also keep inflation low as possible and very stable and predictable because at the end of the day we want to ease uh, business decisions and personal decision making and encourage uh, investments and have greater productivity and and this stability and predictability brings in the confidence so they will use their tools and the, the main main thing is I think the inflation control target uh, which which they want to aim always two percent right now because it's it's been calculated that between one and three percent our growth in Canada is strong. So what what are the 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 tools is like they've been using a lot of it in the um, uh, um, did, the what's it called the easing programs quantitative um, easing. Yeah, quantitative yeah. easing, exactly, quantitative easing. And uh, a lot of money was injected and it's still being injected. It may create problems in the long term, but right now we kind of have almost no choice because uh, the we don't want contraction of the economy. We want stabilization and, and even growth in the future. Uh, but there's so much uncertainty with how long this pandemic is going to last and they need uh, uh, to put those programs in place for the vulnerable and they need to give access to money to the banks. So what they started with is at the beginning, they, they would, the Bank of Canada would purchase bonds with very short-term maturities and the objective was, was uh, to uh, restore markets rapidly and inject liquidities to support the banks and lenders. And at the beginning, we were talking about like a half a billion per week, which seems big, but it, it wasn't that bad because now we're into uh, more four and five billion per week, uh, but they have changed. What they're doing is they're injecting money by uh, buying a much longer maturity bonds. And this way they stimulate the system a little more directly uh, because the impact per dollar spent is much more effective uh, because the focus is on the bonds that are more relevant to the household and business financing and that the type of loans uh, that are being asked out there, it's much closer. So it, we were able, well, we, <laughs> the Bank of Canada was able to reduce the spending from $5 billion a week to $4 billion a week, uh, but still, you know, 
that's that's the programs they put in place but there's so much risk that they have to balance off all the time constantly and uh, not to go into hyperinflation not to to make sure that we don't uh, depress either uh, even and and all these decisions are made they also have to put in place assumptions uh, because with all these assumptions I mean you have to realize one thing is that when the Bank of Canada uses its overnight rate or the taux directeur to change the rates out there. Um, they do it and the impact is not immediate. A lot of people look at the immediate impact. There's rate changes a little bit, but the real results are going to come only like in a year and a half and two years. So they have to think with all this in mind. So right now the, the assumptions are that the authorities and the governments and municipalities won't have to reinstate the extensive and, and widespread measures of, of confinement and containment uh, that uh, was uh, used in the, in, the fall, in the previous months. And the second assumption is that they, they expect that the successive waves that are happening will be able to be controlled locally and with targeted restrictions instead of being like massive and and also that a third thing is that we we should find an effective treatment that's that's what raised prices uh in the last couple of days now actually the rates because now people are having a little bit confidence uh u.s elections are are terminated they they, they lasted long and uh, we have an idea where we're going and then also there's a vaccine that uh, is uh, being in, uh, put in place, which puts confidence in the system. So the Bank of Canada assumes that this vaccine will be functional at least by mid-2022. Uh, uh, but there's going to be long-lasting effects of all this. And I think we only see and we only believe in the, the point of the iceberg uh, of the effects financially of what has happened now, you know. Mm -hmm. No, well, I think that you, you hit on some really uh, good, good stuff there. And I think we, you know, when we talk about like what the Bank of Canada is doing, we forget that ultimately those systems are there to ensure a certain amount of economic stability and yeah. that it's in stable situations of economic stability that all the activities that we have can prosper. Because if things are all over the place, you can't make decisions for the future. I mean, I think we've observed a little bit of that in the, in the past months. Um, and then there's also, I, I read somewhere that there's this business of the government trying to smooth out this massive dip that we have. And so if they can foot the bill for that in the short term, what they're going to be able to do is prevent this mass extinction of all the small businesses of, uh, you know, consumers going underwater and that by just holding that up for a certain amount of time, they're going to be able to avert the much worse slipping into a depression because that is what takes yeah. when you have a lot of death in the in the financial ecosystem. You have a lot of companies going under, a lot of people going under, different things like that. Then you start to tip from recession to depression. And that really okay. what they're trying to do by buying their way, indebting their way out of this is, is to just create the conditions where we don't slip from recession into depression. Exact. Absolutely. So we're just about out of time. Christian, I want to thank you for this discussion. I was really looking forward to it and it has not been a disappointment. Thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any uh, closing comments that you want to make or uh, anything you want to add before we move on. 
Well, it's, I think most of our um, uh, viewers right now are people that are very interested in the real estate market and they're still in there. Uh, I think, um, I hope you're not seeing this like something that is depressing or negative, but I think there's still very good real estate uh, opportunities in the market. Uh, and uh, the, the, the rates are still very low. I don't think the prices uh, uh, have, have been restored yet or have uh, gone down. So I would just tell people um, that I, I would just say, like, prepare yourself, like study the market, study what, what, how much risk you're able to take and you're willing to take in the next three, four, five years. And uh, and if numbers work, like go for it. It's still a, it's still a very good market. Real estate. I mean, what we're talking about right now is is a repetition of a lot of these uh, ups and downs that real estate and any type of markets have been uh, undergoing. So it's not nothing really really new. It's just the situation is really new, and how long it's going to last is so uncertain. That's the that's the big question mark. But I would I would say to people like study your risk, look at how what type of uh, of investor you are, make good partnerships, and just go out there. Real estate is a uh, is still brick and cement, and it's there to be. If it's sustained monetarily, if you could pay it, you're going to keep it for long. And then when the market comes back up, well, hey, life is yours. <laughs> Wise words, a little inspirational nugget to end yep. off. <laughs> Okay, well, like Christian, thank you so much for taking the time and being our guest today. I know I certainly learned a lot. I hope it was as constructive for our listeners as it was for me. And um, have a good Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Yeah, Great. Thanks, uh, thanks, Terry. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating. Leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.